on. So welcome to the second episode of In Her Skin uh, with Corey Pallick and Catherine Willekes. Uh, last time we uh, did a very general uh, introduction and covered a couple topics that we thought were kind of interesting and pertinent to women. Uh, this time we're delving into a more specific topic, although um, having both experienced this topic, um, it, it is much much larger, I think, than maybe most people realize that have not experienced this. Um, so it's probably going to end up being a uh, at least two or three part series um, to really cover, I think, substantially um, the full experience of it. Mm-hmm. But that being said, let me get to it. It's about infertility. Um, I think that this is something that um, many women experience, but have no idea that they're going to experience it mm-hmm. until suddenly they are. Uh, I think we're, you know, we spend the majority of our teenage years and twenties, uh, not, you know, trying to not get pregnant mm-hmm. and then suddenly to be faced with a reality that you either have difficulty getting pregnant or not able to get pregnant, um, for a, a, a huge host of reasons, um, is very jarring. And again, you know, to reference back to what I had said in the first episode about, you know, a lot of issues that women are dealing with in which they feel that they're alone. I think this is grossly, (laughs) this is, um, you know, a topic that, um, I know I felt extremely alone uh, and it wasn't until I was really comfortable speaking about it that I started to find out how many other women do experience this. It is not simple um, at all, but but in that, again, having such completely different stories and, and, and different backgrounds in that. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we would bring that uh, to you guys tonight and again, uh, take the opportunity to speak on it further. Um, we'll see how far we get into it today, but hopefully, um, it, you know, within the series of these talks, we can answer a lot of questions that people have, and if nothing else, um, again, make people realize that they are not alone. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know if you want to. I can start. Start. Sure. Sure. So, uh, as a reminder, I'm married to a young man named Mark. I guess he's not that young, but anyway, we're we're in our 30s now, and we got married back in 2012, and shortly after. After getting married, we started to con- think about conceiving. Um, I'd been off the birth control pill probably for about nine months. Uh, always had irregular periods, but didn't really think much of it. Start trying to conceive, go to my gynecologist. She's like, okay, well, you can do nothing for a year um, and just kind of let mother nature do its course, or you can be a little proactive and you could keep track of ovulating and when you're, you know, like, I feel like once we've, we trigger into our head, like, oh, okay, now I'm ready to have a baby. Instantaneous. Right. You think it's going to just happen. And you think like, oh, well, let me plan. I don't, I don't want to have a baby this month. Literally. So I'm going to, I'm going to try around this time because this is when I would like to have a baby. Count backwards. Right. Right. And it is 10 months, ladies. It is 10 yes. months. 41 weeks is 10 months. Actually, almost almost 11, but we won't scare anybody. Um, <laughs> so started tracking my cycles. I used a thermometer. It's called a basal temperature mm-hmm. thermometer. Uh, whatever. But there was something <laughs> in my gut that said, this ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have an instinct. We're female. We have, the, it's I call it a magical power. I just had this vibe. I wouldn't have necessarily vocalized it. But the woman who I'd seen since I was prepubescent, what, and she wasn't, uh, she was a, 
nurse practitioner. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. Older woman. She's like, you could go ahead and do the due diligence to fill out the paperwork to start a process of RMA. Mm-hmm. Um, RMA is... Uh, Reproductive Associates of New Jersey. It is the leading uh, fertility clinic nationwide. They probably have now, I would say, close to 40 satellite offices throughout the country. Um, their primary office is in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, and that was actually the main clinic that I inevitably based my journey out of. So here we go. So we get assigned to a clinician at the fertility clinic along with a nurse who is your liaison to the doctor and to your treatments and to your instructions. It's kind of like the reproductive endocrinologist who is your the doctor, that's what they're called, uh, is like your professor at college. And the nurse is like your tutor. She's kind of like mm-hmm. your wingman through this process. Yeah, you talk to her she's, very often. She's your con to your point mm-hmm. of contact. Mm-hmm. So on paper, my husband was 29, I was 28. I was completely healthy. All of my levels, everything was normal. So they're like, well, you're not ovulating regularly. Why don't we just do something called an IUI? Bottom line, we did two rounds of Clomid, three IUIs, all... No mas. No neg- No pregnancies. That Basically kind of pe- hoping that your body's going to take over its natural process. Nothing right. happened. Right. So then we go to IVF, which we will go into much more detail about what that is. Um, we did a round of IVF, but all of the embryos arrested on day three. So the what the fuck appointment is the appointment that you have with the RE after mm-hmm. uh, to basically summarize and give a synopsis as to what went wrong with the basically 27 days of needles, time, ultrasounds, driving, the last month of your life. He's like, well, either that was a fluke or you have something wrong with you. Seriously wrong with you. Because someone with your... Statistical demographics, you on paper are a prime specimen to make babies. Mm-hmm. You have something wrong with you. Or it was just a bad luck. Um, so I kind of go into this mode where, like, you can't tell. Like, you're going to tell me I can't have a kid that this isn't going to work, but I want it. Right. Like, now. And you're telling me I'm supposed to be able to. Right. My personal life and my extracurricular life is very uh, active and publicly active. I have horses and I compete and I travel and I show. And the toll that the fertility drugs and time took on me and my body, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to go and travel. I had to go for a vaginal ultrasound every two days at five o'clock in the morning and I had to be monitored. I put on 15 pounds, like life changed. My, my purpose became getting pregnant. So we then go through four rounds of IVF they probably retrieved 80 eggs. That's no, incredible. No, over 100 eggs, 80 embryos. Wow. Over four rounds of IVF. So basically every Tuesday they would have meetings where all the doctors would get together and they'd talk about cases. And, and, and mm-hmm. I, there were days that I would sit in and talk about myself and we would try to brainstorm as to what the fuck was wrong with me. No, no, no one, of course, could ever figure it out. Um, so four rounds of IVF later, every single embryo arrested before day three. So on the fifth round of IVF, which was the first one we paid out of pocket because we had a Cadillac insurance policy, I took a break from it and went like, hail Mary. I was already doing gluten, dairy, alcohol, sugar, quinoa free. 
and then doing all these other things. But the fifth round was where I literally like, I started doing weird drugs from overseas and it was kind of like they threw the kitchen sink at me because they were like, well, if this doesn't work, you're going to have to get an egg donor. And that was something or, or adopt or just go get another hobby and start knitting. Pause you for one second. And just in this moment, yeah, but you get it. I'm drinking a little, little bit of wine there. Um, now I don't know this for sure. I found mm-hmm. in these moments, though, mm-hmm. that there's an overwhelming um, feeling of inadequacy mm-hmm. and um, and I to the point that you can't like it's difficult to breathe that yes, because never in your life do you realize. And I think part of it is because we're trying so hard for so long to not get pregnant mm-hmm. and we don't identify ourselves with Any other that. Way. Right. Um, but never do you realize until you're trying to have a child um, how much you identify with that just innate nature, you know, bound mm-hmm. ability that women have Mm -hmm. to reproduce Mm -hmm. and how much you connect with that and Mm -hmm. how much you feel that if it's what you want, I mean, again, not everybody has this experience. No, 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 no. But But when you want, once you decide you want it, once it's in your brain, you want it like something you've never wanted before. It is. You eat, breathe and sleep it. And it makes you physically ill because you are so tunnel driven to achieve that goal. You, become an exterior robot and you forge and to be told even temporarily that you can't or to or to be trying and realizing that it's not happening mm-hmm. um or to fail mm-hmm. at to it fail you feel like a failure in 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 your womanhood <laughs> oh for lack I, of a, a, a better no. way to put it no absolutely and it's and absolutely. it's um it's so oh, anti, uh, in, in a way, like anti, um, you know, me too, <laughs> you know, it's so, because, because again, this no. is, it's not to say that women aren't more than this, right? Of, of course they are. But when you're in that, that moment and you decide that you want to become a mother right. and then are not able to, it's a, it's a feeling of failure that I yes. can never really completely describe right and you feel like you you you, like you're falling apart from the inside out yeah no I think okay to get away from my like anecdotal story history my there was never anything wrong with my husband and so which Oh, which is even worse. Well, okay. So, <laughs> you know, t- like, again, I mean, not- that feels like, like, right. I mean, just the no, guilt. T- scientifically, the- he right. was a perfect specimen. There was nothing wrong with him. And so while this is something that women were not being, you know, gender biased, but we have a uterus. We, for hundreds of thousands of years, have conceived, carried children, and given birth. It is something that is innate. It is something, it is our job and I'm not being right. politically correct. It is our job. It is something that our bodies are physically supposed to do. So, and if, but especially when, again, when that, when that switch goes off in your brain that you decide 
you, that it is. That this, this is, is now it. what this I is want. It. It's yeah. Right. And so he was perfect. So aside from the fact that it is our job, it it was my cross to bear and my cross to drag around for almost three and a half years, um, because. I was the one getting up for the appointments. I was the one getting the doors closed in my face. I was the one who literally became a shell of a human being. I was the one yeah, doing the shots. Yeah, because you're doing all these things that are um, so uh, tiresome on your body and your taxing. soul. So taxing. But also, you're you have like for me, like I just felt this overwhelming feeling of inadequacy. Complete, and it is a complete mind fuck to your marriage. Yes. And it takes away your identity as a woman because you literally become a number in a fertility clinic, but still you spread your legs more frequently, more times a week for the doctors than you do your spouse. You no longer have sex. You are a... Because everything's timed and... You're a bruised pincushion and you can't... You cannot have sex with your spouse while you're going through all of this unless the doctors tell you to. But of course, it was very regimented. But even if they tell you to, then it's... So you're only doing it because this is when you're supposed to do it. And they can't stay hard. They can't get hard. It's a nightmare. No. so, (laughs) So, I mean, for me, it was two years and then there were complications. My life, as I knew it, stopped my passion for my horses, the traveling, the bringing them along and doing all that stuff because I physically couldn't. I was hospitalized because I had two of the times I had um, OHSS, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to the hospital and I was admitted for days. I was a walking corpse and I saw no end because I could not walk into a public place and see a child. I could not walk into a public place and see a pregnant woman. And P.S., that's all you see. All you see. Every commercial, every, you cannot go to public functions. Every other person who was pregnant, who has a pregnancy yep. announcement on Facebook. It, every single movie is, ev- has a pregnancy everything. in it. Uh, you know, every, it is all-consuming yes. nightmare. Every person, all-consuming nightmare. Basically, every person you see might as well be pregnant because that's all you see. Yes. To the point where it is... Like you don't even want to leave the house. You you don't you don't you are no longer who you are. You inevitably regain who you are. You know, I'm mm-hmm. my daughter, my little girl just turned three, so I'm I'm a valid proof that like life turns around. But in the throes of that, I wouldn't wish that process mm-hmm. onto my worst enemy. My husband and I, we are not having more children. I have two embryos frozen, and I don't know what we're gonna do with them. But they will likely just stay there because of. The journey, how my pregnancy went, how my daughter was born, lot, my story is very, very complex. And so, but I wouldn't still wish the process. If I could have gone to a Van Halen concert or a Bon Jovi concert with a bottle of wine in Central Park and fucked my husband and conceived on the way home in the, in the cab, <laughs> I'd have a couple kids. Maybe, maybe. But it's not that way. Always. It, Always it, but it, it literally eight at your soul and, and, and it, it scars you in this intangible way you it takes away your sunshine that's so cliche and cheesy it takes away your smile it takes away how you look at life it takes away how people take their lives for granted how how people take how their people children their kids. how they raise their kids how they how they take yes. their children for granted it literally changes Everything. When you have certain life experiences that literally cripple you, mm-hmm. 
you inevitably learn and grow yeah. from those experiences. It's funny, even hearing you talk about it, I'm thinking to myself, wow, am I going to be able to remember that much detail about it? Because there's so much of it that I have blocked out. And now if you were to ask me about it when I was in the throes of it, I mean, I had every milligram, every dosage, every verbatim, you know, what time I'm doing my injections, mm-hmm. what it was like, mm-hmm. what, you know, um, and yeah, it, it's just as traumatic, if not, if not much, much more, because many times you're not getting a, um, a happy ending after an experience Correct. Um, as childbirth, you right. know, um, and right. And again, it's just a, it's a constant, constant defeat. Yeah. And I have to give a shout out to all of the marriages that survive this. Yes. Yes. Because it is so taxing Mm -hmm. because you're each going through such completely different, um, lows because you're both totally low, but you know. Well, you're going through the physical and the emotional and the mental, but they're the schmucks that have to stand there and watch you go through it, and they don't know what to say and are helpless, and don't, they can't, they don't know they don't even know how to touch you and make and you if, feel okay. And if even worse, if like your husband, yes, if they're perfect, right, and all you can think in your mind is, well, if they were with somebody else, they would have a baby. Yes, all the time, all right. the time, right, all the time. And as my and journey, do they regret this? I, do they regret being I still married say to that. Me? I still say that on yeah. occasion when we're heated. Yeah. All the time. Because yeah. I... Well, for me, I was... You know, I'm older than my husband. Yes. So that was constantly something. And my issues were not related to my age. Mm-hmm. Even though they kept, you know, like... I think that they stayed on top of me a little bit more yeah. because of my age. But really, it wasn't... It didn't no. actually have anything to do no. with my age. But... That was, you know, on top of this burden of inadequacy as a woman that I couldn't do what I supposed was to supposed do. to do and my body's made to do right. um, was, you know, oh my God, this poor man mm-hmm. married me and... And I'm inept. And the one thing I'm supposed to do... And, and again, I, I realize that this sounds extremely no, sexist and it's, it's no, no, no. so not who no. I am and what I really believe, but no. that's what you feel in that in moment. In the moment. That's in what you the feel. Moment. Because truly... Yeah. We are the ones with the uterus, and we are the ones that carry the child. Right. And and the, the maternal instinct is all there. So there. Um, and, and, and like rushed to the surface, and then to not be able to do something with that, it's, it's then replaced with this um, shame, extreme yeah. shame extreme. and guilt. And then you kind of wrap your husband into that as far as thinking that this is what they must be feeling feeling about you also. When really they're so lost, so confused, and just so puppy dog, sad, useless, that they're just like trying to, and because oh, they oh. they can't fix it. Well, they can't mm-hmm. fix it. Oh, and by the way, at least in my case, everybody has their own story. The amount of hormones that you inject into your body <laughs> turns you into a version of yourself that you have no control over. You are a robot stabbing machine. And that poor man, you almost feel bad for them looking back, yeah. having this conversation, just bantering yeah, because surely, like, <sighs> they're well, they're not pumped full of hormones. No, they're not going through all the things. No, I'm sure that they, you know, feel some sort of guilt for that because we're the ones having to do all mm-hmm. of it because they're watching. So they're yes. they're not only not the cause, no, right, <laughs> um, but they're not the ones dealing with it, right, and they're 
feeling completely helpless and watching their wife going through this, this battle, you know, to the point that many times, you know, my husband, Tim was like, you know what, let's just, if we don't have kids, we don't have kids, you know? And, and on one hand, I really appreciated that Mm -hmm. because I, I felt momentarily like there was a burden lifted off of me. A little release. Yeah. But at the same time, there was this constant immediate rush back of, well, does he really mean that? Is he just saying that because, you know, because he's just so disgusted with this and process you would not and it's have been, my fault that yeah. we're in this process. And, you know, and again, is he this constant fear of, does he regret mm-hmm. being with me mm-hmm. now that, now that we're in this situation? Right. He could, he could he go could and walk. meet anybody else There's the door. and, and have a, have a perfectly healthy baby in mm-hmm. nine months. And right. instead he's stuck with me mm-hmm. doing these shots going to these appointments, mm-hmm. watching me cry, mm-hmm. you know, um, emotional roller coaster is uh, a nice way to put it. Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to get through all of that as a couple and come out, you know, again, not to sound cliche, but come out on the other side of that yeah. is something I think that everybody that, that does do that should be extremely You, you get a gold of. star because it is, it, you know, it, brings you closer or pushes you apart. I'll quickly go through my story uh, and then Coralie can tell you her multi-chaptered book and how she got her beautiful baby girl. Um, So inevitably, five rounds of IVF, a couple years. I was now pincushion with no kid and now I couldn't leave the house without being held back from everything and anything. I omitted myself from public public events, family events, couldn't couldn't do anything. I was a ghost of who I used to be because I didn't know who I used to be because all I had done for this past your identity. That is become yeah. who I became. Yeah. Now I was quite candid about my process going through it. Uh, within reason. So it justified why I wasn't at X, Y, and Z or public or whatever else. Um and at that point, Mark was like, okay, well, we're, we're done. We're not going to have children. So when my very close friend and the head of embryology was like, you need an egg donor. To summarize that process, it is literally like uh, online dating services, but you shop for a woman. And I literally connected with agencies. The one I use happened to be on the West Coast. And my husband and I went online and we literally shopped for a woman. Uh, on a few sick, drunk occasions, I asked Mark, because we could drink at that, I could drink again at that point. Um, would and you, you would certainly earn it. <laughs> would you, are you looking at them like you would want to fuck them? <laughs> like, what are you looking, right. and what are you looking for? And he was like, and what he said to me is he's like, I'm looking for someone that could be like you or your sister. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, yeah. Um, I've always wanted a little girl. I don't know. It's, it's just my thing. Um, and so part of me was like, if we have to go this route, we're going to have, I will strategically aim to have a son because there's no way in God's green earth I could have a little girl and look at her and not see myself. And, um... Inevitably, I have a little girl, so there you go. <laughs> so much for control. Well, if there's one thing about this process that I was constantly 
battered in the face with was yes. the fact that we have no control. No control. None. You are and a... You know what's funny is when I look at your daughter, I see you a thousand percent. I know. I know. <laughs> the doctor yesterday, ear, nose, and throat, was like, oh, she's so much like you. She looks just like you. I'm like... Um, anyway, so we inevitably pick this angel, and she's willing to work with us, and we go through another out-of-pocket IVF. We fly this woman and her two children and her mother from Washington State to New Jersey, and they live in a hotel for 10 days on our dime. And she goes through the stimulating and egg retrieval process like poor Lee went through, like I had done five times before. She did not respond to the drugs for the first four days, and they thought the whole thing was going to be a bust. And at the last minute, she her uterus and ovaries wrangled, and they inevitably get it, ended up getting 12 oocytes. Mm-hmm. So we ended up having um, six little girls and four boys. You then let everything in your body calm down. You go back for a FET, F-E-T, frozen embryo transfer. So fast forward on me, keeping going. I have a living child. My daughter is three. I have been pregnant four times. I with her all of with all of with the egg donors material so on top of the fact here we go again on top of the fact that I couldn't get pregnant I couldn't stay pregnant right even with the most perfect pristine engineered in a dish man-made specimens we four four she's she's four four losses she's five so we put one in, I got pregnant, it was chemical. Put another one in, maybe there were less than that. Chemical usually is So like chemical pregnancy. So yeah, so I we had a scan, there was something, there was a blob on the screen, no heartbeat. Um, took some drugs, that kind of just petered away. Uh, again, frozen empathy, your body has to resume normal. Mm-hmm. Again, that's it's, a process. It's like a battering ram. Go yep. again. Put the next one in. Um, that one didn't take. Put the next one in. That one took, got to the heartbeat scan, had a scan, then lost it. Um, all the while, I am a raving lunatic to try to figure out why my body hates me. I've learned a lot in that process. But the bottom line is this. My body couldn't get pregnant. My body couldn't stay pregnant. I had multiple losses with perfectly good specimens. My son or my husband could have had sons. I could have had a son the last go around with one male embryo left was you can't put this in me. You really need to leave me and be done. Mm -hmm. Like stop wasting all of this. Put, stop putting your genetic material in me. I'm useless. I'm helpless. I'm inept. It's not meant to be. Stop forcing it. But then I couldn't live with myself because Come hell or sitting there. Come hell or high water. Right. How is how is anybody going to tell me that I can't accomplish something? That ain't been happening. Right. So we then put in the last one. Of course, I don't know what it is. It was the last boy. Well, there goes Mark's hope and dreams of ever having a son out the window. My daughter is never allowed to legally change her name when she gets married. Supposedly, I learned that the other day. That's funny. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then we get to the girls, and so at that point. Everybody at RMA was like, you need a surrogate that is in a position who has already had a live pregnancy of her own to Mm -hmm. carry. So here we go. So you're being told, 
not only can you not be the one to be the, gen- the genetic material, the genetic material for your child, but right. you can't carry either. But now I don't have the luxury of having getting fat and growing cellulite and doing what every natural pregnant woman should do. That at that point they were like, well, we're gonna let you. I had four embryos left. This was the four, so I had four little girls left. Um, they were like, we'll let you put two in and try it. Which for those of you don't that don't realize, you know, now this what it's it, it's changed a lot over the last couple of years. A lot of yeah. it has changed in fertility. Yeah. Um, work and at one point they used to kind of cram them all in there and mm-hmm. see what it would take kind of yes. mentality yes. and they've since changed that because you know when you have a situation of uh, an individual that is having a hard time getting pregnant or losing right. pregnancies mm-hmm. um, it's even more likely with multiples mm-hmm. so um, they're not going to put a person at, at risk, risk. Exactly. Uh, with multiple pregnancies uh, any longer. So they've kind of veered away from doing that. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they were doing that for Catherine, you know, shows further that there was... They were desperate. They were just trying to, again, you know, do anything. Anything. Something. To see if it worked. And um, there has been some research that has been done that shows when there's multiple embryos in, they... um, They're louder. Right, there's a there's a noise, so right. to speak. Right, they they almost feed off each other, or there's some type and they of talk so to there's, the there's some yeah. there's some type yeah. of um, connection there that mm-hmm. that occurs that allows at least one of them to uh, to implant right. and or both to implant mm-hmm. better right. uh, with the both in there. But again, mm-hmm. that's really not the ideal that they go for because no. it does you're you're a high risk already, and now with multiple. Um, uh, multiple in there, it, it, in there, it yeah. makes it even higher of a risk. Absolutely. So um, they have become much more cognizant of the the risks that are involved mm-hmm. and putting somebody at further risk. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. Catherine being Catherine, they were like, you know what, fuck it, <laughs> let's just throw them in there because let's <laughs> that, see what happens. At that point, they, they didn't. At that point, it didn't matter. Yeah. So okay. So anyways. Anyway, so so, so to wrap up our story, mm-hmm. so they were like, okay, well, we're gonna give you two. Long story short, I'm in Florida, was flying home for the transfer with my husband. Uh, There was snow in New Jersey. I was flying up from Orlando. My flight got delayed nine hours. There's a window of time. Yeah, everything's timed. So I literally went from when I landed in Newark to the clinic. They were waiting for me. It was a debacle. Point is, is five days after my transfer, I started peeing on sticks. Another little tangent that Coralie and I can talk about during your fertility process. You spend thousands of dollars. You spend so much money on first response, specifically those two pink lines. Those two pink lines. I could like stab someone's eye out with the amount of time. See, I went for the ones with the words. I wanted to see it say that. I always did those pink ones. I'm a real masochist. Oh my masochist? god! Yeah, masochist. Yeah, I want to see it say to me. Yeah, that's it. You're done. <laughs> no mas. Exactly. Keep moving, lady. You and your old eggs. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> they put them in on day five. I actually saw a line, but I'd seen a line many times before. So at that point, it was like, here we go again. Like, what right. is going to make this one any different? Right. And of course, there's always the like false hope well these are girls it's meant to be it's your time blah 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 yeah and at that point you wrap yourself into the whole universe thing so many times and it just i was yeah. calloused 
Yes. And ornery mm-hmm. and pissed off. Like the bags <laughs> under my eyes were as big as my thighs at that point. It just was the worst. So I get pregnant. And when you get pregnant and you're working through a clinic, there's something called a beta, B-E-T-A. And that mm-hmm. is the blood saturation level. How it, pregnant are you? How pregnant are you? And it's a number, a numerical number. And that, believe it or not, that numerical number means something is supposed to multiply in a certain amount of time, whatever else. So the number was big. So every, so there's two in there. It worked. Well, long story long, I conceived one child, the other embryo, maybe it was the catalyst to get her to me. Kicked to the curb. Kicked to the curb. And I had a painstakingly normal 10 month pregnancy. And then that's a whole other story. Yes. <laughs> her arrival. Yes. But, but I gave birth to a not healthy little girl who was now healthy and just celebrated her third birthday. So I did it. She was my Mount Everest. And I think that's a good place to stop. There it is. That's it. I think that maybe on our next, mm. we'll cover mine. Mm-hmm. And maybe get into um, some of the things that you feel once you go through this process mm-hmm. and actually are successfully pregnant, mm-hmm. the fact that it's not over. Oh, it never changes. That the fear and and all of the, all of the things that you um, have experienced in the process getting there, how how significantly you carry that with you. You always feel through, broken through the pregnancy, um, yeah. and maybe even beyond. But we'll get to all of that. Yeah, okay. um, I think that like again, I, I I you know this is this is easily a three part series. It's not much more yeah. than that. Because um, everybody has their own story, right? And you know, and again, I, I really want to to. Speak Speak about this to valid, you know, to, to highlight all the different types of stories that yes, are out there. Very, number one, very different, and number two, to validate all of the feelings that that go along with these stories, regardless of what the stories are. It, it doesn't matter what your story is. The emotions, the rawness, the, the realness is identical. And you can see a poor woman on the street corner, and then we'll we'll end it here. When I met Coralie. She was at my house performing a minor and trivial Botox for my forehead. Mm-hmm. And there was something about her. I made a comment and I just knew. I knew she was one of us. And I say one of us, and for the women who don't know yet that you're gonna be one of us, you will soon know. And I reached out and I said something and that opened up the literal and figurative door to her opening up her life story to a complete stranger in her kitchen with a syringe (laughs) in her hand. But it doesn't matter the story. Like we all carry this, this impression and it never goes away. And it's, it doesn't matter what walk of life. Once, once you are that, you are that. It's universal to yeah. the uh, to the uterus within. <laughs> to being a woman. <laughs> oh, yes. but it's true. All right. Yeah. I think that's a good place to Signing end. Signing off. And we will uh, we'll pick up there next time. Yeah, next week. All right. Chapter two. Yes. Okay. <laughs>